Hi everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're doing an archive show. This show was originally broadcast back on the 3rd of December in 2018. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Let's go. Come on in, everybody. Come on in. Chester has got the hot coffee on. Some hot cider this week again, Chester. That was a big hit a couple weeks ago when it was cold, right? See, yesterday here in St. Louis, it was 61 degrees. Today, the temperature is dropping and it feels like it's going to snow. It's really windy and cold outside, so all the folks that uh, are coming in to listen to the show tonight are in need of a warm-up. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the podcast where we play old-time radio shows and music we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers and we have a great lineup tonight by the way you don't have to be a baby boomer to enjoy these shows because most of them were really good and we've got a great lineup tonight. we're going to start up first with the lineup which was a great detective show from the 50s and uh, then we're going to follow that up with an episode of father knows best every baby boomer remembers that we're going to have a really interesting uh, episode of Escape because it has to do with uh, an old Western theme, which was a little unusual on Escape. And it's a good one, a really good one. And then we're going to follow that up, as we always do, with an episode of Gunsmoke. So a great lineup. Everybody come right on in. Fill in the seats over there. Help yourself to the hot cider. And uh, what else you got over there, Chester? Biscottis. You've got biscottis, caramel biscottis and chocolate. Ooh, those look good. Did you bake those? Twice baked. Did you know that's how you make a biscotti? You bake them twice? Well, it looked good. So come on in, everybody. We're going to get started in just a minute.
are going to start things off tonight with an episode of The Lineup, which was originally broadcast on CBS on the 11th of October in 1951. They always like to make fun uh, word games, sort of, what am I saying, word pictures, tongue twisters, that sort of thing, with their titles. And the name of this one tonight is The Frivolous Forger Fracas. <laughs> and it's a good one. It features a lot of great Hollywood, uh, uh, the great Hollywood radio people, such as Jeanette Nolan's in this one, High Averback, um, of course, Wally Mayer and Bill Johnstone star. This one, Howard McNear is really the star of this episode, as you will hear. Another interesting thing, and I've commented this on with the lineup before, and I still don't have a good answer. It was my understanding that these actors could not do dual roles in these shows because of union rules. But what you're going to hear tonight, I swear, is Raymond Burr. And he plays a captain in the beginning of the show, or in the first third of the show, and then toward the end of the show, you you also hear him again as someone being arrested. I think, I think it's someone being arrested. Anyway, someone that they're questioning. And tell me if I'm wrong. I swear it's Raymond Burr, and he's not even listed in the credits. But this is a good one. So here we go. The Frivolous Forger Fracas from 1951 on The Lineup. Ladies and gentlemen, by transcription, we take you now behind the scenes of a police headquarters in a great American city, where under the cold, glaring lights will pass before us the innocent, the vagrant, the thief, the murderer. This is The Lineup. like this. Really, I do. You ever been in a lineup before, Miss Larkin? I should say not. But I feel like such a fool, Lieutenant. How long will it take? Yeah, well, that'll depend in which line the suspect appears. Well, heavens, can't they put him in the first line or something? Well, maybe they will. I want you to tell me. Oh, well, is that disinfectant I smell? Mm-hmm. Certainly strong. Be glad when this whole thing's over. May I have your attention, please? You people out there on the other side of the wire in the audience room, may I have your attention, please? Thank you. My name is Greb, Sergeant Matt Greb. I'll explain the lineup to you. Each of the suspects you will see will be numbered. I'll call off a number, their name and charge. If you have any questions or identifications, please remember the number assigned to the prisoner as I call his name. At the end of each line, when I ask for questions or identifications, call out the number. If you're sure or not too sure of the suspect, have him held. The officers who took your name will assist you. They're seated among you. The questions I ask these suspects are merely to get a natural tone of voice, so do not pay too much attention to their answers as they often lie. Bring on the line. All right, keep it moving, boys, right over to the end of the stage. Come on, that's right, all the way over to the end. Take your hands out of your pockets, turn and face the front. When I call your number, I want you to step out and talk up. Stand up straight. 
Answer my questions in a good, loud voice so the people in the back of the room can hear you. When I ask you where you live, I want the address you slept at last night. Okay? All right, number one, Connie Bush. Burglary. Where do you live? 417 West 99. For how long? Since Tuesday. Where'd you live before that? The White Plains, New York. What do you do for a living, Connie? I'm a wood finisher. You have a car? Yeah. Well, what kind? What color? A 49 Chevy convertible, blue. Anyone with you when you were arrested? Yeah, Vivian Johnson. Have any weapons on you? No. All right, number two, Dale Gagan, murder. Where do you live, Dale? I live at the Darkers. That, that Come on, speak up, Dale. Where do you live? Darkers. Well, I What's that? Never. A place on 2nd Street where they have rooms. What's the number, Dale? Well, I don't know. I just know the place when I see it. It's a sort of a white building. How long you lived there? On and off, maybe three years. Where'd you live before that? Prison. State Correction Home, Bonneville. Okay, Dale. Number three, Cliff Barry, open charge. Where do you live, Cliff? Did you hear the question? I heard it, Sergeant. I understand that I'm not compelled to answer your questions. I'm not compelling you. I'm asking you to cooperate. The questions you ask might intimidate me. Look, the public defender happens to be standing in the back of this room. If I get out of line, he'll let me know, Cliff. Now, come on. Tell the folks where you live. I can't see anything out there. Take my word for it. Now, I want to know where you live, what kind of work you do, who you were arrested with, if anybody, whether you had any weapons or whether you own a car. Okay? I'd rather not answer you, Sergeant. Okay, number four. Florian Bart forgery. We're 1647 Ray Street, apartment three. I'm a salesman. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> no guns, no car, okay? Anything else you'd like to volunteer? No, I got my rights. <laughs> Haven't we all? Any questions or identifications? Hold number three up for me, Sergeant. Number three. Number four. That's him, I think. Florian Barnes. I'm not sure, but I think... Anyone else? Uh, hold number four, Sergeant. Yes, Lieutenant. That all? Okay, Bart and Gagan, stay here. The rest of you are back where you came from. I'm not exactly sure, but it certainly looks like it. Well, we'll find out. All right, up to the center, Florian. Come on, right out into the light. That's it. Now do a quarter turn. Now a full quarter turn. Uh, hold it, hold it. Sure looks like him from the side, too. Mm-hmm. Could you ask him to see Chesapeake? Have him say Chesapeake, Matt. All right, Florian. They want you to say Chesapeake. Yeah, that's Chesapeake. About say it louder. Chesapeake. What is this, anyhow? Never mind. Could I hear him say, "I've got to be in Cedar Rapids tomorrow night"? Have him say, "I've got to be in Cedar Rapids tomorrow night." Say, "I've got to be in Cedar Rapids tomorrow night." Well, I gotta be in Cedar Rapids tomorrow night. Once more. I gotta be in Cedar Rapids tomorrow night. Any marks or scars on him, Sergeant? Well, there's a mole on his left cheek, sir. Turn your head here. That's about it, Lieutenant. No, Miss Larkin. That's him, Lieutenant. That's the man who gave me that bum check. Well, I thought I was all finished. Well, you are, practically. Just want you to fill out a verification card. 
here they are. Do you like it? Hmm? Do you like being a policeman? Oh, yeah. Uh, just fill out your name and address, the date and the time. Okay. Yeah, I think this has some ink in it. This about, uh, am I willing to appear in court? Yes, in case there's a preliminary hearing. You'd be asked to appear before a magistrate and testify at the same time we present the complaint. Chances are you won't be called at all. Oh. He'll probably waive his right and plead guilty. From there on, it'll go straight to Superior Court for decision. Well, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Here. Thank you. I want to thank you for coming down tonight, Miss Larkin. I knew you took time off from your work to do it, and we certainly appreciate it. Oh, it wasn't so bad. As a matter of fact, very interesting... Besides, I should have my head examined for letting that guy give me a bad check. Well, don't feel too badly. A lot of people have been taken in just like you in the last three months. It's been passing bad checks all over town. Something like $4,200 worth last month alone. Were they all as dumb as I was? <laughs> well, nicely dressed man runs up a bill and wants to pay for it with a legitimate-looking payroll check. He has what seems to be proper identification and... That's about it. <laughs> you forgot that smile he flashed around. Oh, well. Want me to call your cab? No, no, I've got my own car in the lot. Uh, you know, that old man in the lineup tonight, the one up for murder. I'm curious, who'd he kill? Another old man. How? Beat him to death with a shovel. He got in an argument over a game of checkers. Some world, huh? Some world. Good night. Good night. Hi, man. Hi. Got a report from handwriting. Mm-hmm. Checks, huh? Mm-hmm. Hey, Ben. Molly's sister's going to be in town this weekend. Which sister? Nellie, her youngest one. You've never met her, Ben. Is she from Muncie, too? Mm-hmm. She's been living in Detroit. Works for an advertising agency. She's on her way to New York on business. A cogger single. Oh, Ben, Molly asked me to ask you. Nellie's a real nice girl, Ben. You'll like her. Honest. You ever met her? N- no, but I've seen pictures of her, and Molly says she's... Uh... Boy and Bartholdson. son. Ah, just in time. Okay, boss. Hi, Lieutenant. Sergeant. Hello, boss. Grab a chair. Thank you. Well, Florian, you've been identified. You want to make a statement and get this over with in a hurry? Oh, you kidding. Your handwriting's been identified and your face has been identified. So you can see I'm not kidding, Florian. I can explain anything you want to explain. Just ask me. Okay, let's start with that nice apartment of yours. I'm a good salesman. Not according to that sewing machine company. They say you hardly turn over one machine a month. Yeah, I got other sources. I do a mail order business, too. How much do you make? Oh, enough. How much is that? Oh, sometimes four, five, maybe six hundred a month. Depends on how hard I work. Who printed up your checks? What checks? The checks you've been passing all over town. Wrong guy. Where were you the night before you were arrested? What time? Say about uh, 10.30. Home? Doing what? Reading a book. What book? From here to eternity. How far you get? Oh, maybe a hundred pages. Where'd you get the book? What do you mean, where'd I get the book? I bought it. Where? Some bookshop downtown. That night? A couple of months ago. How late did you read? Ooh, almost midnight, I guess. I don't know. Then you went to bed? Yeah. That doesn't exactly check. 
Miss Larkin, the cashier at the Peacock Restaurant, says you were in there from 10.30 to 12, handing her a bad check. Miss Larkin's a liar. I don't even know where the Peacock is. It's out on Federal Boulevard, a nice place. Your kind of place, Florian. Well, I'll drop out sometime and look it over. Thank you. How about a smoke? No. Okay, I'll get along without it. What do you think of Jones' book? Huh? From Here to Eternity. A man named Jones wrote it. Huh. That seems okay. Do you like Sergeant Pruitt? Yeah, 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 yeah. How about Private Warden? What do you want me to do, give you a book review? No. Just correct me, Florian. Pruitt's a private, and Warden's a sergeant in that book. A detail. What, uh, what did you have for dinner that night? Oh, how would I know? If you don't, who would? I don't. They have a specialty at the Peacock, cracked crab. Everybody gets uh, it. I hate crab. Miss Larkin said you had crab that night. You already know what I think of what Miss Larkin says. Got to make a statement? If I didn't have a sense of humor, I'd be yelling for a lawyer. Now, you better start yelling. Huh? Huh? I'm presenting a complaint first thing in the morning. You've got five days to get a lawyer. Take him away, man. Uh, hello, Ben. Hello, Bill. Relax. Yeah. I'm holding this complaint on Florian Barth you sent upstairs this morning. Wasn't there enough stuff with the handwriting and identification? It won't seem to be Ben, but I just want to make sure we can get an indictment. Well, this bird's been passing wallpaper all over town. What's the kick? Well, I'll tell you. Excuse me, Ben. Captain Waldo. Yeah, put him on. Okay. 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 All right, send it over to Ben Guthrie's office. Bye-bye. Well, that's it, Ben. Handwriting just verified a new check turned in this morning by a victim named Caristi. They say it's Florian Barth's signature. You've had him in custody almost a week, haven't you? Yeah. Check was passed last night. What do you think? Beats me. Twenty-eight thirty-seven, Clyde Place. See the woman. Thirty-three. A five-eight. Find the master. Still questioning Barth. Yeah. See the man. Fifteen sixteen. There it is, Ben. Hey, I've been here before. I used to have a pretty good piano player, Harry. Uh, Harry something. Can you see anything? Not much. Me neither. Coming out of the sun. <laughs> Hello, boys. What's it going to be? Uh, we're looking for a Mr. Caristi. Carista. I'm uh, Benito Carista. You the police? Yeah. This is Sergeant Greb. I'm Lieutenant Guthrie. Glad to meet you. Uh, come on down to this end. It's much quieter. Would you like something? Uh, no, thanks. No, thanks. Uh, me neither. Can't stand to drink in the daytime. But what, what about a smoke? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I don't know whether I have much to tell you or not. You see, he came in a couple of nights ago. He seemed like a nice fellow. Said he was in the insurance business. How long was he here? Almost an hour. 
Well, then you got a good look at him. Good look? Sure I did. He sat right there on that stool. Well, tell us about the check. Well, when he asked me to cash a check, I told him I don't cash personal checks for anybody. He said there was a commission check, and he pulled it out of his pocket. Well, it was issued by some insurance company on a local bank. It had his name on it, his social security and deductions. They looked uh, good to me. They looked good to a lot of people. Did you ask him for any further identification? No, no, I didn't. Mm. Did he endorse the check right here? Uh, yeah. Are you sure? No. Well, come to think of it... Uh... Do you think it was already endorsed when he took it out of his pocket? Well, it could have been. Tell us what he looked like. It was nice looking, as I said. Tall, maybe six feet or better. How old? Oh, 35. How much would you say he weighed? Well, not over 160. Mm, what was the color of his hair? I couldn't say for sure. He kept his head on all the time. I imagine it was dark brown or black. He, he was the dark complexion. What color were his eyes? Dark, I guess. Any marks or scars? No. Anything else? Jewelry? Cufflinks? A watch? A ring? He might have been wearing all of those, but... Uh... Hey, Benny. How's about it? Oh, I'll be right back, fellas. All, all right. right. Well, that could be Bart. But it's a cinch he wasn't here drinking a scotch two nights ago. It sounds like a sister act. Maybe the handwriting guys are wrong. I'll stick with them. So will I. Sorry I kept you waiting, uh... Now, is there anything more I can tell you? Well, uh, this is a picture of a man we're holding now. Ever see him before? Mm, no, no, that isn't him. But it could be him, sort of. That's what we thought. Can you get away from here for a while? Well, you, you mean right now? Yeah. Well, I guess I can call my brother and let him take over this afternoon. Call him. just came in. That makes 12 men. Couldn't get a hold of any more. Oh, 12 will be enough. This is Mr. Caristi, Sergeant Quine. Hello. How do you do? Mr. Caristi's number 13. You aren't superstitious, are you? No, no. You can just grab a chair there anyway, Mr. Caristi. This won't take long. Okay. I thought Matt was with you, Pam. He's across the hall with Asher. Oh, there. Hi, Tom. Oh, hello, Ben Quine. Hi. Here we got ourselves a problem. Looks like it, Tom. You ready to go to work? Yep. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to bother all you people by having you come down here again, but uh, you've all been stung with bad checks, and we want to bring you up to date on what's happening. We're holding a man now who's been identified as a check passer. Our handwriting department has confirmed it. He's the same man some of you were unable to identify when we asked you to pick him out of the line this week. However, we're pretty sure there's more than one man involved. The general description of both men is just about the same. That's why Mr. Thompson's here. Uh, this is Mr. Thompson. I suppose all of you know that a composite picture is drawn from detailed information about the facial characteristics of a person. Well, that's Mr. Thompson's job in our department. He's pretty good at it, too. But he needs the cooperation of every one of you. He'll sit and listen for hours to what you have to say about the man who gave you those bad checks. That right, Tommy? That's about it, Lieutenant. Okay. All yours. Now, Come all on, of you people who saw the suspect within the last two weeks, raise your hands. All of those who saw him within the last month. Coffee, Ben? Yeah, uh, let's go in here first. Okay. 
we know you've been working with someone else, Bart. Now, come on, come on. Who is this other guy? Oh, you're all wet. Nah. Oh, you want something, Ben? No. Did you make the checks up in batches and then take turns passing them? What checks? These checks, these checks right here in my hand. I never saw them before in my life. Who's the other guy? There isn't any other guy. Look, I haven't had a drink of water for two hours. Neither have I. Come on, tell us about the other guy. I can last as long as you two or anybody else you got down here in this crummy place. How much did you pay for that apartment? 185. How long have you two lived? Two years. There? Okay, let's go find I worked for been going on all day. You know, I don't think that guy's going to say much. I'm afraid not. Well, maybe it won't make any difference. Morning, Ben. Hi. Well, she gets in tonight. Who? Nellie. Molly's sister. Oh. Ben. Uh... This is my night for the fights. Oh, look, Ben, she's only going to be in town one night. You might like her. <clears throat> Tommy finish yet? Yeah, he said he'd call me. Uh, Bart isn't making things very easy. You look beat. Three hours with that guy, and I was asking myself questions. He's not going to be easy, Ben. Mm, that's why we're doing things the hard way. All that we have now, Ben? Yeah, Quine. Well, Crockett pinned out a type of machine used on those checks. Good. Turned out to be a local manufacturing outfit called the Makepeace Printing Company. You talked to him yet? Uh-huh. I was out there this morning. They make all sorts of printing equipment. The general manager's quite an expert. He says those checks were all done up on what he calls a, a A41 model. What's that, Klein? Well, it's a little portable check-making machine. They made them for about two years now. They sell them to firms that have small payrolls. Say, it might be somebody in an accounting department who could do it, Ben. No, no, no. At least it'd be pretty hard, Matt. The make-piece people set them up for the individual firm, type and all. It'd be hard to change the type, and every one of those checks has a different company name on it. Mm. Did you get a list of all the people in town who bought those machines? Uh-huh. 108 firms. Hi, Asher. You finished? Mm-hmm. Just got them out of photographic. Well, this is what they say he looks like. Hmm. Gosh. Think it's dream stuff? No. You sure got it all over Bath, wouldn't you say, Ben? Maybe. Let's get him and find out. It's a very handy little outfit. Saves a lot of time. I would have bought the big model, but uh, right in here, gentlemen. But the little one's good enough for my office. And we just want a sample off the machine. We're glad to help in any way. Oh, uh, Mr. Blair. Yes, Mr. Hastings. Uh, these two gentlemen are from the police department. Lieutenant Guthrie, Sergeant Greb, is it? Yes, Greb. Uh, w would you mind showing them our checking machine? Well, this is it right here. Uh, would you mind running one off for us? Oh, it's all right, Mr. Blair. Just cancel the number when it comes out, you know? All right, sir. Well, it's, it's electric, and all you do is set the amount here like this. And then you uh, run it off like this. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Uh, may we keep that sample? Oh, sure, sure. Anything else I can do? Do you have a man working for you who looks something like this? No. Uh, Mr. Blair, does he resemble anyone you know? No. Anyone who might have worked here, Mr. Hastings, at one time or another? No, no, no. No, sir. All right, thanks for your cooperation.
Yeah, fine. Uh, Mr. Kendrick's in your office. That the man from the printing company? Uh-huh. He's been working with us all day looking at samples from those machines. Mr. Kendricks, this is Lieutenant Guthrie and Sergeant Greb. Hello. Glad to meet you both. It's nice of you to give us a hand, Mr. Kendricks. Glad to do it. My company feels a little abashed that one of our machines is involved in all this. Did you see all the samples we brought in, Mr. Kendricks? Yes, I did, Sergeant. I was just explaining to Sergeant Quine that I don't think any of those bad checks were printed on any of the machines in town. Oh? Of course, that's just after a hasty survey of the situation... But there's nothing outstanding on any of the samples brought in to tie them up with the same machine that printed the bad checks. Hmm. You've gone over all of them? Every one. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. I wish I had better news for you. I'll go over them again if you like. We want to be sure. Of course. There were only 108 of them sold in this city. We rechecked our sales department on that, yes. Uh And no others that you might not have a record of? No others, Sergeant. What about samples? Samples? Well, you know, salesmen have samples, don't they? Uh, when you first put them on the market, you... I just happen to think there is one machine that's not accounted for. We had a man on our sales staff two or three years ago, name of Fisher, Ed Fisher. Seemed like a nice chap, but he didn't work out. He got in an argument with a customer, and we had to let him go. He never did return the sample machine we issued to him. Man. Yeah. Well, Mr. Kendricks, would you remember the salesman if you saw him? Oh, I think so. Well, is, is this him, Mr. Kendricks? Why, why, yes. Yes, that's him. <sighs> yes, Mr. Fisher? That's right. I'm Lieutenant Guthrie, police. Oh. Well, uh, yes. We've had quite a time finding you. I I, I suppose so, yes. Did Florian tell you... Florian didn't say a word about you. You want to get a coat? Yes. Come in. I'm sort of surprised if Florian didn't say anything. We'll tell you all about it. Will I have an opportunity to come back here before... I mean... Well, to close my house and take care of some personal matters. You'll probably get out on bail. Well, I I guess I'm ready. Okay, in there. I really never thought I'd be caught... Didn't you? No, I I didn't. I really didn't. Well, now you know. The lineup where before you pass the innocent, the vagrant, the thief, the murderer. Listen again next week when we again bring you The Lineup. May I have your attention, please? You people out there on the other side of the wire in the audience room, may I have your attention, please? Thank you. My name is Greb, Sergeant Matt Greb. I'll explain the lineup to you. Each of the suspects you will see will be numbered. I'll call off a number, their name and charge. If you have any questions or identification, please remember the number assigned to the prisoner as I call his name. At the end of each line, when I ask for questions or identifications, call out the number. 
If you're sure enough too sure of the suspect, have him held. The lineup, starring Bill Johnstone as Lieutenant Ben Guthrie and Wally Mayer as Sergeant Matt Greb, was written by E. Jack Newman with music composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Jeanette Nolan, High Everback, Herb Butterfield, Gil Stratton Jr., Howard McNear, Peter Leeds, Ray Hartman, and Jay Novello. The lineup was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. <laughs> Von Monroe's back from vacation. Yes, on most of these same CBS radio stations, you can again make the Von Monroe Show a singing, dancing date every Saturday night. Vaughn, the Moon Maids, the Moon Man, and Ziggy Talent, plus singing guests, will be very truly yours this Saturday night on CBS Radio. Don't miss them. Dan Coverly speaking, and remember, the comedy trait that can't be beat is Jack Benny time, Sunday nights on the CBS Radio Network. From 1951. October the 11th, the frivolous forger fracas on the line. Wasn't uh, Howard McNear good at that? And you see the fellow that they arrested there at the end, his accomplice. I swear that was Raymond Burr, the same one that played the captain, only disguising his voice. And and they didn't even credit him, but I'm sure that's who it is. Uh, if you can prove me wrong, then send me a note. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure that was right. That was such a great show. It had so much mood and character. And I remember it from television. On television, it was called The Lineup. In television, it was uh, took place in San Francisco. On the radio program, it just said a great American city. At first, I thought tonight they almost revealed that it was New York, but they didn't. They didn't. Uh, just because a fellow came from uh, White Plains doesn't mean that he was in New York City, and a lot of cities have 99th Streets and 2nd Avenues and that sort of thing. And then later on in syndication on television, it was called San Francisco Beat. So maybe you remember it from when you were a kid. I definitely remember watching that when I was a kid with my, with my parents. It uh, was a weekly, weekly show in our house. Well, we have a number of the uh, lineup episodes in our collection now, and most of them are just an outstanding sound quality. So believe me, you will be hearing more lineup in the weeks ahead. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the love. Liars and clowns. 
Well, I played an episode of Father Knows Best a few weeks back, and I asked you if you would let me know if you would like to hear more of them. And overwhelmingly, people said, yes, they'd like to hear more. Everyone remembers Father Knows Best from when we were kids, if you're a baby boomer. Mostly, you probably remember it from television. And it was a slightly different cast on television, well, an almost entirely different cast on television, with the exception of Robert Young. And I always loved it on television. I'm not as crazy about it on radio. This episode tonight is um, pretty typical of what I'm talking about. But, but if you enjoy it, don't let me step on your parade, or rain on your parade, I should say, uh, because uh, it was a very popular show for a number of years. This one was originally broadcast September 25th in 1952, and it is entitled Should Women Work? And for those of you that are fans of old-time radio, you know that that was a somewhat popular theme in the early 50s. Here it comes. Mother, why did Daddy switch to Postum? Your father says there's no caffeine in Postum, nothing to spoil your sleep, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Instant Postum, the good-tasting drink that's entirely caffeine-free, and by Post's 40% Brand Flakes, America's largest-selling brand flakes. once described home as a place that our feet may leave, but not our hearts. And for once in the white frame house on Maple Street, none of the feet are leaving and all of the hearts are there. Margaret is absorbed in reading. Kathy is spread-eagled on the floor with her comic books. Betty is studying a fashion magazine. And Bud is busily munching an apple and a banana, both at the same time. Jim is contemplating his son with wonder. Like this. Bud? Yes, Dad? How do you do it? Do what? You just got up from a big dinner. Meat, potatoes, vegetables, and a big piece of pie. He had two pieces, not counting the one he ate in the kitchen. Oh, so that's where the rest of the pie went. Isn't that where the rest of any food goes around here? Margaret, is he normal? That's good, dear. Well, now, there's a real intelligent answer. (laughs) Yes, dear. Kitten, would you mind peering over your mother's shoulder and see what she's reading? She's reading a magazine. I know that. Margaret, what are you reading that's so fascinating? Of course, dear. Well, that clears up everything. (laughs) If you really want to know, Father, she's doing some research on happy marriages. What's she reading that junk for? You wouldn't understand, dopey. Dear, may I borrow your pencil? Oh, so you are here. Hmm? Here? Why, of course. What's the matter? Margaret, we've been talking about you. Weren't you listening? No. Should I have been? Mommy, aren't you happy married to Daddy? Why, Angel, where did you ever get such an idea? Well... Honey, what's this sudden interest in matrimonial problems? Mother is just looking up the reasons why some marriages are happy and others aren't. Some women have a spiritual contentment, an inner radiance. 
You can see they're not only happy outside, but happy inside. I'm hungry, but... <laughs> well, I'm not happy inside. You're not a woman either. Thank goodness for small favors. <laughs> Margaret, just what is this research you're doing on happy marriages? Oh, it's such fun, Jim. I don't know when I've enjoyed anything as much. I've been reading a survey on complaints of wives. Complaints? What kind of complaints do these lovely ladies make, Margaret? Well, listen to this. Very few women complain about the big things. It's the small, irritating habits of their husbands that annoy them most. <laughs> like not shaving on weekends. 75% of wives object to their husbands' beards. <laughs> you find that amusing? <laughs> of course. I know just how they feel. Well, it strikes me that if the only complaint a woman has is her husband's refusal <laughs> to shave on weekends, she's a very lucky woman. You're right, dear. I only meant... Why don't you shave on weekends, Father? Me? How did I get in on this? What's wrong with shaving? I think it would be fun. Ralph's father always shaves every single day, and he looks simply marvelous. Just the same. I imagine it is a nuisance to shave every single day. And I don't blame your father for getting careless now and then. <coughs> yes, I... Careless? Me? Well, aren't you? When I get married, I'll expect my husband to shave every single morning and twice on Sundays. Fine, Betty. We'll keep your room ready so you can come back home and live with us. <laughs> well, I don't see why. If a man cares enough, he'll try to keep attractive for his wife. I believe your mother finds me attractive. Of course I do. Your father doesn't look that bad with the beard. Well, thank you. I think... I don't see why you're all picking on Daddy. I heard Mr. Johnson say he'd like to wear old dirty slacks around the yard like Daddy does because he looks so comfortable. What? So there. So where? I'm not sure I like your defense, kitten. It seems to me we're making a big fuss over a very little thing. But, Mother, you said it's the little things that irritate women. Well, yes, but let's be reasonable. You know, there are a lot of amusing things in this article. Why don't you read it, Jim? Read it out loud, Daddy. This is fun. Isn't it? Ha, ha. Well, let's see what else it has to say. I quote, Another complaint of the majority of women is the fact that men forget romance once they're married. Now and then, they'd like to have their husband bring home some flowers. Oh, for heaven's sake, Margaret, do you really enjoy this sort of thing? Daddy, why don't you bring flowers home to Mommy ever? Oh, dear, this is getting out of hand. Let's change the subject. On the contrary, I'm beginning to understand <laughs> your fascination for it. Oh, I'll get it. It's probably for me. I'm going out and get something to eat. Mother, did you see how red Father was getting? <laughs> I guess we were kind of mean. But it was fun teasing him a little. Are you almost through with your speech, Mother? Not quite, dear. I still have to make more notes on it. But I find I can get most of my information from this book. See? Careers for Married Women. I wonder why the Professional Women's Club chose you to make a speech on careers for housewives. You're not a businesswoman. They just want the housewife's point of view. You see, it will be sort of a debate. Mrs. Stuyvesant is going to speak for careers for married women, and I'm to speak against it. I think I'll enjoy it. Hmm. I wonder how Father would feel if you ever decided to go to work. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to stand it, I know. 
Margaret, have you seen my appointment book? It's upstairs, dear. I'll get it. I wonder if Daddy was really getting worried. Well, let him worry. It's good for a man sometimes. Never mind the appointment book, honey. I don't... She's upstairs looking for it, Father. Nothing to eat in the whole darn house. You know, we never did find out why your mother's doing this research on happy marriages. Maybe she's trying to make you happier. <laughs> she couldn't. Mommy's been working on that for a week, Daddy. She made a lot of notes out of this book. What book? Let me see that. Careers for Married Women. Careers? Gosh, you don't think Mom wants to work, do you, Dad? Oh, don't be foolish, son. She's probably reading it because... Well, because... Well, just for her own amusement. You think it's funny? Well, you know how it is. Women sometimes have a strange sense of humor. Let's read some of this and see. Would you like to be a consultant? A personnel manager? Married women are particularly suited for these positions because of their knowledge of people. You gotta be married to know people? Look at this one, Daddy. Would you like to be a model mother? There, you see. If there's one ambition your mother has, it's to be a model mother. You mean she wants to pose for fashion magazines? Who, your mother? <laughs> Let me look at that again, Kathy. <laughs> if you look gracious and wear clothes well, there is a demand for your type in the fashion world. Holy cow. Mom wears clothes real good. Yes, doesn't she? Uh, Margaret? Margaret? What is it, dear? What's all this about your becoming a fashion model? A fashion model? What on earth? Gosh, are... Mom, you're not going to get your picture in those fancy magazines. Why, I wouldn't think of You wouldn't go to work and leave us, would you, Mommy? Besides, you can't be a model. You're too old. Too old? <laughs> now, just a minute, kitten. Your mother and I may be older than you are, but we don't go back that many generations. Uh, I didn't mean you were real old. I only meant you... You... Yes, go on. Well, golly, I think Mommy's beautiful. But isn't she too big to be a model? <laughs> big? She doesn't mean big. Well, what does she mean? Oh... Round, maybe. <laughs> Round? Oh, dear, they're such children, so inept at explaining things. What they mean, Mother, is that you're too mature to be a model, that's all. Now, just a minute. I resent all this. For your information, your mother is just about one of the best-looking women in our crowd. In the whole neighborhood, in fact. Well, thank you, dear. I was beginning to feel a little ancient. Me, too. And when they make better-looking women than your mother, I want to know about it. What for? <laughs> you aren't going to be a model, are you, Mommy? Angel, I don't know where you get that. She certainly isn't. Jim, I had no intention... A woman belongs in her home. It's her job to take care of her family and do it well. Oh, I think I do that, Jim. And you'll go right on doing it. Well, is that an order? My wife will never go to work <laughs> if I have anything to say about it. Well, really. Jim, I've never gone against your wishes, but when you begin to think of me as something as unromantic as a kitchen stove, then it's time I did something about it. 
You mean you're going to go to work? Oh, Mother, you know you're not going to. You told me you were going to make a speech against... It's a woman's privilege to change her mind, and I intend to exercise my privilege. Margaret, I forbid it. You what? I mean... Now, honey, be reasonable. You really are too old to be a model, you know. (gasps) That does it. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to look into the possibilities of becoming a fashion model. Oh, no. Now look what you did, Dad. And if it's the last thing I do, Jim Anderson, I'll make you eat those words. Eat? That reminds me. (laughs) I'm not happy inside. (laughs) Neither am I, bud. Neither am I. Life in the Anderson family has become a thing of beauty, but not a joy forever. Margaret has become the thing of beauty, but the thing that is not a joy is Jim Anderson, who is convinced that Margaret is seeking a career as a fashion model and now doesn't know how to stop her. After some heavy thinking, Jim decides that maybe life in the white frame house on Maple Street has become a little dull for Margaret. So he decides to romance her. Like this. Margaret! I'm home. I'll be down in a few minutes, dear. Take your time, honey. Take your time. Bud. Kathy. Princess, where are you all? Here in the kitchen, Daddy. Come on in. Oh, hi, Dad. Hello, Father. Sit down if you can find a clear place. <laughs> Well, that's about the most enthusiastic greeting I've had in years. Why all the long, long faces? Well, Mother's so changed since she's gone in for that modeling career that we hardly know her. (laughs) Well, don't all be so gloomy. I'm sure I can change all that. You can, Daddy? Oh, I knew you'd think of something. You just leave things to your father. I understand your mother thoroughly. Wait till you see what I brought her tonight. Two dozen gorgeous red roses. Holy cow, you can't eat roses. (laughs) Son, you're missing the point entirely. What is the point, Father? Well, your mother was finding things a little dull, so she probably yearns for romance, excitement. Sort of like the old days before you children were born. Gee, do you remember that far back, Daddy? (laughs) Well, it's a strain, but I manage it. Don't you see? If I start bringing roses to your mother and, oh, sort of showing her special attentions, she'll melt like a honey cake in the sun. How could she possibly prefer a business career to my attentions? You really want to know? No, I don't. (laughs) Don't be such a drip, bud. Father, I think that's a super idea. Every woman wants to be swept off her feet by a handsome escort, to be lifted to the skies by whispered sweet nothing. Well, anyway, I'm quite certain your mother will respond when I start showing her some of my old charm. She'll forget all about this career nonsense. Shh, everybody, here she comes. Hello, dear children. Sorry to have kept you waiting so long. Well, honey, you've always looked well in gold, but I never knew it could make you look so radiant. Holy cow. But Mother, that's an utterly dreamy outfit. Wherever did you find it? Oh, it's just an old dress I had. But I took off all the trimmings, altered it here and there, and (laughs) changed the neckline. Didn't you, though? 
<laughs> Gee, Mommy, you look like Ava Gardner. Don't you think so, Daddy? She always has been beautiful to me. Why, dear, what a lovely thing to say. And speaking of lovely things, may I present you with roses, madame? <gasps> For the most beautiful rose of all. Oh, Jim, dear. Golly, to think my own mother and father could be so thrillingly exotic. Oh, it's just too dreamy for words. Well, Bud, you're the only one who hasn't commented on your mother's loveliness. I'm hungry. <laughs> Leave it to Bud to bring us down to earth. Well, shall we all go into dinner and feed the inner man? Now you're making sense. A dinner is just about ready, dear, and Betty knows how to go about the finishing touches. Betty, mm. aren't you going to eat with us? Oh, but of course, I see. It's high time the children took over some of your chores and lightened your load a little. I heartily approve. That's good, dear. Then I'll be running along now. I'm a little late. Late? For what? It doesn't matter. It was worth it to hear all the nice things you said. Margaret, what is this? Aren't you going to have dinner with us? Why, no, dear. Didn't I tell you? Oh, I'm so absent-minded these days. No, I won't be having dinner here tonight. But my roses... I'm terribly sorry. I'd cancel this appointment if I could... But you see, I have to make a speech tonight. Speech? You? Yes, I speak English quite well. <laughs> I'm going to address the Professional Women's Club on Careers for Married Women. Oh, is that where you're going? Yes, dear, I told you about it two weeks ago, remember? Yes, but you said your speech would be against... Uh, don't forget to put the potatoes on, Betty. Mother, could I speak to you privately for a minute? Why all the secrecy? You wouldn't understand. This is between us women. What women? I'm beginning to feel like a sorority sister. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Kathy, be a good girl now. Goodbye, bud. Dad, are you sure you understand, Mom? I'm not sure of anything right now. Goodbye, dear. I won't be long, and I'll tell you all about it when I get back. Well, thank you very much. But don't ask me why. Mother, you're a big faker. Why, Betty... You're still going to make that speech against careers for married women, aren't you? <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> and you're just letting Father think you're in favor of married women working to teach him a lesson because he got so completely stuffy about a woman's place in the home, aren't you? You're growing up fast, dear. <laughs> Mother, you're simply devastating, and I love you lots. Thank you, dear. Goodbye now. See you soon. Goodbye, you career woman, you. <laughs> She said she wouldn't be gone long, and here it is two and a half hours. Why, for all we know, she may be wandering around somewhere with amnesia. Who's he? <laughs> oh, Father, how corn-fed can you be? Well, I don't care. Just isn't like your mother to be late. It just isn't like her. What is like her these days? What Mother's doing is admirable. Admirable? I don't quite go along with her walking out and leaving us and making a speech to get other married women to have a career. She didn't leave you, and she isn't telling them to go to work. She's against it. Oh. Oh, dear. What was that, Princess? Nothing. Nothing at all. I didn't say anything, Father. You sure said a lot for somebody who didn't say anything. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, I'm sure. Princess. Oh, golly, Father. You might as well know. Yes, especially since I'm going to find out anyway. 
Mother wanted to teach you a lesson. You deserved it, too, the way you talked to her. So she didn't let you know her research work was for a speech against careers for married women. What? You mean your mother would pull a trick like that on me? It's your own fault. She tried to explain, but every time she opened her mouth, you put your foot in it. Oh, brother. Me and my big fat foot. <laughs> you mean Mommy isn't going to look for a job after all? She never intended to. But if any of you let her know that I told you, I'll positively destroy you. Aw, oh, turn blue. <laughs> Wait a minute, kids. I've got an idea. I'm glad somebody has. I'm lost. <laughs> Let's be reasonable about this. In a way, your mother is right. We never did give her a chance to explain. And, well, we have sort of been taking her for granted. You mean we haven't been treating her right? Oh, we've been just like any other average family, sort of forgetting all the good things she does for us and not doing anything for her. Gee, Dad, have we been like that? In a way, I guess we have. What do you think we ought to do, Father? Let's go along with her little act. Let her think we believe she's going to work. When she gets home, let's all be just as unhappy as we were before we knew this. And you leave the rest to me. Oh, gee, this is going to be keen. I always wanted to act. Can I cry, Daddy? Well, maybe a little. <laughs> On second thought, why don't you just forget it, kitten? Now, are we all set? Any questions? When do we eat? <laughs> Tomorrow morning at breakfast. Quiet, everyone. Here she is now. Remember, look miserable. That won't be hard. I'm not happy, happy inside. inside. I know. <laughs> but try to bear up like a man. Hello? Jim? Children? Oh, there you are. Hello, everybody. Oh, I've had such a very enjoyable evening. And you know, I almost think I was successful. It um, was a simply wonderful evening. Well, it was up to now. Ah! Oh, Mommy, it wasn't any fun at all without you here. Ah! Uh, take it easy, kitten. Why, Angel, did you miss me that much? Betty doesn't cook as many potatoes as you do. <laughs> now, Bud, I'm sure Betty gave you a fine meal. She's an excellent cook. We ran out of everything after the third helping. <laughs> I think you'll survive, bud. We had a pleasant evening, Margaret. Quiet, but pleasant. Oh, I'm so glad. Of course, it was terribly lonely. But then we had a long talk, the children and I, and we've decided that you're right. You have? Yes, Margaret. We realize now how much this means to you, and even though we'll suffer horribly, we'll sit back, uncomplaining, and watch you startle the world with your charm and brilliance. Oh, dear. Jim, children, I have a confession. If there are any confessions, we'll make them. We realize now, Margaret, we've been mistreating you. Mistreating me? We've been hiding your light under a bushel. Dad. Even though it means the destruction of the great harmony in our family, we'll stand by, Margaret, and see you through. Dad. We wouldn't think of letting our love become a burden on you. Dad. What is it, son? Let's not get sickening about it. <laughs> Gee, I thought 
thought he was doing swell. Go on, Daddy. It's better than a movie. Please, children. You must realize the gravity of this situation. I know you love your mother, and it goes without saying that I am devoted to her. But she is entitled to a life of her own, no matter how much it hurts us. But, dear, you know I wouldn't think of spoiling our family life. Well, not intentionally, of course. Not anyway. Listen to me, all of you. I never, never intend to have a business career. I just pretended I was because, well, you goaded me into it, that's why. But, Margaret, how can you say that when you made a speech tonight favoring careers for married women? Mrs. Stuyvesant favored careers. I said that a married woman should avoid a career if possible. To me, there is no finer job than taking care of my family and my home. Margaret, you really mean that? With all my heart. Did you hear that, Princess? Kitten? Bud? Your mother wasn't your mother for a while, but now your mother is your mother again. Come again? <laughs> Welcome home, Mommy. Angel, I never left you. serenity reign again in the white frame house on Maple Street. It's late now, and in the upstairs hall, Betty is saying... Mother, I've been trying to get a chance to talk to you all evening. Whatever for, dear? Well, I think it's only fair to tell you. Father found out about your speech before you came home, and he was just putting on an act. Oh, Betty, you didn't tell him. I didn't mean to. It just slipped out. <laughs> I thought he was a little on the dramatic side. <laughs> All right, don't worry about it. I uh, think I'll go in and have a slight talk with your father. Good night, dear. Good night, Mother. Asleep, Jim? Uh, not quite. I just wanted to say you were wonderfully understanding about this whole thing. Oh, it's nothing. But I must say you certainly did a fine job of acting... And me fooled completely. You know, I was wondering about that. Just think, Jim. A career as an actress. I wonder if I shouldn't go in for dramatics. Oh, no. Well, uh, why don't we discuss it thoroughly tomorrow? Good night, dear. Uh, Margaret. Yes, dear? I don't think I'm happy inside. <laughs> Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Paul West and Dina Fields. This is Bill Foreman speaking. From September 25th, 1952, that was Father Knows Best, Should Women Work? And, of course, that was heard on NBC. That was presented by Postum. Do you remember Postum? Now, Postum, I, I had to look it up. They still make Postum. You can still buy it. I don't remember seeing it any time recently in the grocery store.
But postum was a powdered roasted grain beverage that was once popular as a coffee substitute. It was made from roasted wheat, bran, and molasses. Postum was the brainchild of, uh, oh, what was his name? Well, it was Mr. Post. I, I don't remember his first name. But he was a student of John Harvey Kellogg, who, of course, started the Kellogg Cereal Company. And both of these companies were in Battle Creek, Michigan. But if you know the history of the Kellogg Company, uh, old Mr. Kellogg was a real health enthusiast and had a lot of wacky ideas that were not even mainstream back then. He had determined very early on that caffeine was not a healthy substance to have in your drink. All right, what was his name, Chester? C.W. Post. Okay, C.W. Post. What does C.W. stand for? You don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, the caffeine-free beverage Postum was created by cereal company founder C.W. Post in 1895, and it was marketed as an alternative to coffee, a healthy alternative. Uh, at first, you brewed it, but in 1912, they came out with an instant drink version of it, and that's what I had when I was a kid, or not a kid, young adult. I, I don't remember where I had it, but I remember I had Postum, and I thought, well, that's kind of a good idea until I tasted it. Well, we have a real treat for you tonight. We have an episode of Escape. It was first broadcast on CBS on the 15th of February in 1958. This is a radio adaptation of a story by Ernest Haycox, who was a very prolific Western writer. It was adapted for radio by John Meston. And this one is... Uh, Produced and directed by Norm MacDonald, and it has in it Georgia Ellis and Howard McNear. It's narrated by Parley Bear, and it's just a delight. But it is just a little off kilter. Not quite exactly what you would hear on, say, Gunsmoke, but it's a good one. I hope you enjoy it. Here it comes. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of Romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are standing in a moonlit street of a western cow town, alone and friendless. While moving slowly down on you, their horses crowding every exit, is a band of killers, each one of whom has been paid to shoot you dead. Listen now as Escape brings you Ernest Haycock's unusual story, Wild Jack Rhett. Thank you. 
born of woman hath but a short time to live, and is full of misery. He cometh up, and is cut down like a flower. He flieth as it were shadow. While we're praying, a couple of you boys start throwing some dirt on the sheriff. O Lord, with whom do live the spirits of them that be dead, and in whom the souls And that same evening, a committee of the leading citizens of Red Mesa gathered together at Mayor Wayne's home to decide upon a new sheriff. All right, gentlemen. Yeah, sit down. Let's get this set. Gentlemen, we've got to have a sheriff Todd Mallon and his kind can't kill. We need the toughest gunfighter available. And I want to propose we send for a man some you may have heard of, Jack Rett. Just a minute, Mayor Wayne. Let me speak. All right. Go ahead, Bo Helen. Now, gentlemen, I run a saloon, and I run it for the only men who bring any money at all into Red Mesa. Cowpunchers coming up the Chisholm Trail with Texas cattle. If you give them Jack Rett instead of a little fun, I and the rest of this town will go broke. Uh, we'll chance that, Bo Helen. We'll chance that. Yeah. Chance it. Uh, what about uh, Matt Trevner? What's he got to say? I have nothing to say, gentlemen. As U.S. Deputy Marshal for the district, my job is strictly outside Red Mesa. Hey, you know anything about uh, Jack Rett, Trevner? Just by reputation. He's a professional town tamer, and I've heard he's the most cold-blooded killer that ever drew a gun. Trevenor's right. We can't afford a man like that here because in two months' time... Gentlemen, in two months' time, gentlemen... Now, let's put it to a vote. All in favor of sending for Jack Rett, raise the right hand. Uh, Five to one. Matter settled, gentlemen. Good night. You'll uh, wait and see Mary, oh, Trevner? You don't mind, Mayor. Of course, of course, sit down. She'll be out in a minute. <laughs> yeah, Boo Helen's pretty mad, but after Jack Red's here for a while, at least there'll be less gunfighting. There'd be less anyway if Todd Mallon were out of the way. But he's a hard man to catch. Yeah, you've done all you can, Trevner. Yeah. Good evening, Father. Hello, Matt. Good evening, daughter. Hello, Mary. Well, Matt Trevner, aren't you going to kiss me? Well, sure. Your mother, God rest her soul, didn't behave like that when we were engaged. Uh, the war changed things, Father. Yes, I know, but not for the better. Well, I'm off to bed. Don't stay up too late now. Good night. Good night, dear. Good night. You look worried, Matt. Do I? Tell me about it. Well, it's just that they're sending for a new sheriff. A legal killer named Rhett. He has quite a reputation. There'll always be men to challenge it. That means more gunfighting. Is that it? I'm afraid so. It's a bloody way to peace, Mary. I know. Well, let's not worry about it now. Come on, I'll fix some coffee for us. Three weeks later, Wild Jack Rett rode into Red Mesa. He was 38 and at the peak of his reputation. He stood well over six feet, 
better than 200 pounds of plain sinew. Tawny blonde hair grew long in the frontier style, and his features were boldly aquiline. He was a picturesque man, until one looked at his eyes, which were large and pale blue, and had the disconcerting trick of remaining too steadily on people. There was to be seen in them the suggestion of inhumanity. He sent word to the committee that he would meet them at the mayor's office that evening. Well, it's 8 o'clock now. Where is he? He's in town. That's bad enough. Now, be a sport boy, Ellen. We took a fair vote on Red. You'll learn the Here he comes way now. Way. Here, here. here he comes. Here he comes. Here he comes. My name is Jack Rett. I have your offer. I'm uh, Peter Wayne, mayor of Red Mesa. Do you accept it? That depends on what you want. Tell me. Well, Rett, this is a difficult town. The Chisholm Trail lies just across the river, and we get most of our money from the riders passing through with Texas cattle. Now, we want them to have a decent time for their money, but we don't like a lot of gunplay and killing. I've always been accustomed to complete authority, Mayor. I presume to know my job, and I won't have interference. Well, that's agreed, Rhett. Oh, by the way, the last sheriff had a rule that riders leave their hardware at his office. He had trouble enforcing it. Poor rule. Let them pack their guns. Gives the wild ones a fair chance at you. I never give a man a fair chance at me. Is that all, gentlemen? Bo Helen's saloon was the usual deadfall, with a huge bar along one side of the room and gaming tables toward the rear. Next morning, Bo Helen stood tapping the mahogany of the bar with his fingertips and staring thoughtfully at nothing. Good morning, Bo Helen. It's noon, Samus. Draw me a beer, Mike. Hmm. Where's the new sheriff, Bo Helen? Right over there at the corner table. Came in just before you did. Oh? Barkeep. Bring me a cigar and a glass of rye. Now he's going to clean and reload his six guns one at a time. By golly, he is. How'd you know? It's an old gunman's trick to impress the citizens. But there's no one here. Oh, except you and me. It's to impress me. Oh. Oh, well... Well, goodbye, Bo Helen and Mike... You got something to say to me, Bo Ellen? Yes. Yes, I have. You're smart, Red. I recognize that. But your record for killing is too severe. 
My business depends on an open town. The reform element got you, and I'll go along for now. Just remember one thing. I can break you red any time. I was waiting for that, Bo Helen. I guess we understand each other. Hello. Any luck, Matt? Yeah, just a morning's ride. Matt, there's Jack Rett. Rett this Matt Travener, U.S. Deputy Marshal for the district. Glad to know you, Rett. You're young. Don't be misled. Rett, your job is in town. Mine is everything outside. So I'll either back you up here in Red Mesa or leave you strictly alone. I'll handle Red Mesa. All right. One more thing. I want Todd Mallon. If he comes to town again, he'll have to be taken. Will you do that or shall I? What is he? Outlaw. His main line is plain robbery. Now I want him for killing Jim Speed. Let me handle Mallon. Why? Killing's my trade. Man doesn't live with enough animal instinct to get me. Maybe. But to kill you would build a man's reputation considerably. Just so. Well, good luck, Rhett. There was peace for a full week in Red Mason. And then on Saturday night, Matt Travner's prediction came true. Jack Rett was at his customary post just opposite Bo Helen's saloon, sitting in a chair on the porch of the Chinook Hotel, obscured by the shadows and watching the crowd, his cold, pale eyes half concealed by cigar smoke. Trouble found him thus. Evening, ma'am. Good evening, Sheriff. Killing for one sheriff. Three men. I don't like it. Well, forget it, Fred. Have a drink and forget it. You're Bo Helen, ain't you? That's right. You come on and have one on the house. Mike, fix him up. I can pay for my own. You never gave him a chance. What kind of sheriff you got stands in his shadow and kills one man and then jumps 50 feet from his gun flash and shoots down two more? Those boys never had a chance at it. Drink your drink, cowboy. That was the most merciless killing I ever seen. He's a butcher. I wish I had the chance. This is my game. There are fools to play it. Never buck a man who's spent his life learning to kill, son. Get out of town. Get out now. Rit, what if I... Don't try it, son. Don't let your anger destroy you. Drift. Go on, drift. Yeah, blast your town. 
I can hold my thirst another 200 miles up the trail. Come on, boys. We'll send word back to Texas to go around, Red Mason, and let it dry the powder. It won't do, Red. It'll do, Bohelen. Barkeep, bring me a glass of rye on the house. Red stood with his back to the bar, holding his drink and a thin black cigar carefully in one hand. He stood there for about ten minutes. Then trouble came again. It's Todd Nolan. He's riding in with four men. Close the games. Open the back doors. Well, Jack Rent, now let's see you shoot down Todd Mallon and four men from the shadows. Good night, Bo Helen. came to Bo Helen's saloon that Todd Mallon was riding into Red Mesa with four men. Jack Rett simply walked out, crossed the street to his office, sat down, and waited. Twenty minutes later, Todd Mallon had arrived and departed, and not a shot fired. Then Jack Rett went quietly to bed. But early Sunday morning, he was back in his office. Come in. Morning, Rhett. Well, Travner. There's talk, Rhett. I expect that. Rhett, you told me you'd handle Mallon if he came to town. Yes, Travner. Well, they say Mallon rode into town last night with four men. Rode right up to this office, got down, and came inside. That you and he stood here with this desk between you, talking. And that a few minutes later, Mallon left and rode out of town. I play the game my own way, Travner. I don't want interference. From anybody. People are saying maybe you and Mallon made a deal of some kind and it. Well, now, uh, somebody's breaking the Sabbath. Know who it could be, Travener? No, I don't. It's a rifle. Sounds like one of those seven shot Spencers. It's old Hack Crow. Who's he? An old trapper. Comes to town every few months, sells his furs, and gets drunk. Goes a little crazy. Jim Speed always laid him in jail to sober. I'll take a look. You better stop him, Rhett. He's only got two shots left. That'll satisfy him. I doubt if he'll reload. And if he notices us and decides to shoot? Then I'll have to kill him. Who's that coming out of Bo Helens? He walled Bay. Gambler. He's a fool. Heck, kill Bay. Ain't you gonna stop him, Rhett? No, let him go. Rhett, the town is your territory, and I won't interfere. But why did you refuse a fair shot at Hack Crow? Ewald Bay is dead. Which is the more useful citizen, Travner? Crow or Bay? West is full of gamblers. <laughs> There was considerable talk that day in Red Mesa over Jack Rett's aloof and cruel calm in condoning a shooting that had occurred under his very eyes within reach of his formidable guns. Then, mid-afternoon, 
A rider came up from the prairie and reported finding old Hack Crow dead in a coulee. Dry gulched and robbed. Mayor Wayne heard about it and went to Bo Helen's saloon to hear more. Well, well, good evening, Mayor. Hello, Bo Helen. Shot of brandy. What do you think of your great Jack Rhett now, Mayor? It looks bad. Oh, now look, Mayor. Everyone knew Hack Crow carried his profits in his pocket. He always did that. So Rhett allowed him to leave. And Todd Mallet and his men were waiting for him in the coulee. It's as simple as that. We have no proof of that, Bo Helen. Oh, no? Now, why didn't Rhett take Mallon when he rode in here last night? Because they made a business arrangement, that's why. Well, it doesn't look good, but... Oh, look. I don't want to talk to Rhett yet. I'm leaving. Good night, Bo Helen. Good night, Mayor. Here, Mike. Give me that rye. I'll take it over to the sheriff myself. Here's your drink, Sheriff. Mind if I sit down? Game never changes, boy. Ellen, I know what you're going to say. I warned you I could break your red. It's an old story to me. Every town's got one insider who plays along with the outlaws. I knew you'd be that one here when I first saw you. Running a saloon, you'd know when a cattle buyer was riding out of town carrying specie, when the overland stage was loaded with gold. But there was a quarrel over the split of profits between you and Mallon. You fell apart. That's always the way. Very it's shrewd. an old story, Bo Helen. I know it by heart. Very shrewd, Rhett, but you can't play the same game. All sheriffs are supposed to be crooked. You and Mallon had an agreeable little chat last night. Did he make you a good offer, Rhett? Maybe I should accept this offer, Bo Helen, just to keep you two split. Maybe I should do that. Red, I've seen sheriffs come and go. It's a chancy trade. Sheriffs die. They all die. It's only a question of time. You're a hard one, Jack Red. You make your peace with Malin. Otherwise, you'll have little chance of getting rid of me, Bo Helen. It may be that way. I would not be surprised. I always expect the worst of men... And I'm seldom disappointed. It was turning dark as Jack Rett left Bo Helen's saloon. Crossing the street, he walked into his office but continued on out through the back door. A few minutes later, he stood in the gathering shadows opposite the OK stable and watched Bo Helen ride out and drift into the prairie to the south. He knew now what to expect. It would happen soon, perhaps tomorrow. He returned to his office and slept the night there. Come in. Oh, well. Good morning. Rhett, I want you to meet Mary Wayne. Miss Wayne, very proud. I wanted to know you. To meet him, Mary. Not to know him. Rhett lives in a closed world. You see that? I have no friends. We're to be married on Thursday, Mr. Rhett. I should like you to be there. I'd be most happy. Thank you. Mary, will you wait outside? I have some business to discuss with the sheriff. Of course, Matt. Don't be long. Goodbye, Mr. Rhett. Goodbye, Miss Wayne. Rhett, this afternoon I'm leaving to find Todd Mallon. 
You had your chance and you let him go. Wait, Traveler, wait. I've tried patience, Red. I'm a poor hand. Traveler, you have a fine girl. If it is not presuming, let me congratulate you and compliment her. Thank you. Is that all? I'll take care of Malin. Red, I want to believe you. No man wearing a star should believe anybody. It's a weakness, haven't I told you? I'm blessed if I quite understand you, Red. Then understand this. Every man has his time. When it comes, he knows it. There's no turning back. Nothing makes any difference then. Except to stand up to the finish and go out in decent style. Yet you're the man who never believes in giving another man a break. Don't try to understand me. Do you want help with Mallon? I have no faith in help. Mad? Coming, Mary. Wait, traveling. I'll suggest this much. Take one man and ride due north to where the cattle trail crosses Tempest Creek. Be there tonight. You understand. Rhett, I'd hate to oppose you. If you did, you'd lose. I've been 15 years at this, Travener, which is five years beyond average luck. That evening, Jack Rett took up his post on the porch of the Chinook Hotel, dressed in his best. A suit of black broadcloth swelling around the big, uncompromising shoulders. A hard white shirt and a blood-red Windsor tie. He sat there, calm behind the smoke of his cigar, waiting. Didn't Red? Oh. Hello, Mayor Wayne. Oh, Mayor, have you seen Traveler? Uh, he rode north this afternoon. Be back tomorrow, he said. Oh, good. Where's the sheriff? Here I am. Red, Red listen. I just come up South Creek. And Todd Mallon and six men were only a quarter mile behind me, heading into town. All right, friend, take cover. Yes, take cover. Rhett stood up and moved into the shadow at the end of the hotel porch. Across the street, Bo Helen appeared in the full glow of the doorway of his saloon. Come out of the dark and meet your friends, Jack Rhett. What are you afraid of? It's only Malin riding in to see you. Thieves fall out, but the urge for profits bring them together again. You should have known it, Rhett. Nothing surprises me. Well, there you are. It's a surprise to find you exposing your great reputation right out there in the middle of the street. Every man has his time. Want to try it, Bo Helen? Or will you wait for help? I'll wait. The arriving horses came up into the moonlit street and halted at the corner of the saloon. Bo Helen's hand lifted toward the group. And at that order, the horsemen spread out until they were flank to flank all across the street. Todd Mellon advanced from the line and stopped, square and alert above the saddle. Jack Rett stood alone in the middle of the street, his eyes flashing a hard fury. Then he dropped his cigar 
and ground it beneath a boot. It was a final gesture. How are you, Malin? Goodbye, gentlemen. buried some more men out on the hill and talked of Jack Rett, who was more of a mystery to them now than when living. To all of them but one, Matt Travner. Nobody knows the killer's world, Mary. There wasn't any room in Jack Rett for much pity, but he sent me away to save me from what he knew was coming. I think that was a kindness, though I had no fear. It was a fine thing for him to do, Matt. But they say he stood in the middle of the street to face them all in the light. Why? It wasn't his style. As long as he was sure of himself, he never gave anybody an even chance, Mary. But killers live and die by instinct. And somewhere along the evening, he got the warning. After that, it was just a matter of pride. And he killed Malin and Bo Helen before he died. Standing up and in good style. That's a sort of greatness, isn't it? Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you Wild Jack Rett by Ernest Haycox, adapted by John Meston and starring John Daner. The narrator was Parley Bear. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Georgia Ellis, Howard McNear, Herb Ellis, Peter Leeds, and Lou Krugman. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stephen. <laughs> That was Escape, is originally broadcast on CBS on the 15th of February in 1953. That was entitled Wild Jack Brett. And that was based on a story by that same name. And it was first published in Adventure Magazine. And it was written by Edward Haycox. Haycox published about two dozen novels and about 300 short stories many which first appeared in pulp magazines like Adventure. But during the 30s and 40s, he was also a regular contributor to Collier's Weekly and the Saturday Evening Post. Fans of his work included people like Gertrude Stein and Ernest Hemingway. In fact, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, I read the Saturday Evening Post whenever it has a serial by Edward Haycox. And it should be noted that John Meston, in adapting the story for Escape, made almost no changes. He just uh, converted it into dialogue. But in 2005, the Western Writers of America voted Haycox one of the 24 best Western authors of the 20th century. Well, that was a good one. I enjoyed it. Like I said, a little off kilter there at the end. But boy, that was a powerful, powerful story. 
You know what that music means? That means it is time for Gunsmoke. Time to go back to the old west, Dodge City in the 1870s. Time to walk up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we'll run into Doc and Chester and Kitty and the whole gang on this episode of Gunsmoke that was originally broadcast on the 1st of July in 1956, and it's entitled, A Gun for Chester. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Chester. Mr. Dillon? Are you going hunting? No. I saw all kinds of wild turkey about a mile down the Arkansas yesterday. I ain't going hunting, Mr. Dillon. What's a gun and all the shows for, then? 
Well, shotguns was made for more than shooting birds with. Yeah, that's true. Mr. Dillon, you ever hear me talk about Live Oak County? Uh, South Texas? Sure I have. According to you, it's a hideout for bandits. Yes, sir, it is. And they've got a saying down there that if the law ever did catch any of them, there ain't enough good men around to act as a jury to try the bad ones. <laughs> well, that's very interesting, Chester, but you're a long way from Live Oak County now. Well, part of it's moved up here. What? Hazel Ledbetter. He's in Dodge. Hazel Ledbetter? Is he an outlaw? No, sir. But I seen him at the Long Branch, and there's only one thing he's here for, Mr. Dillon. Well, what? To kill me. Chester, are you going to tell me why Asa Ledbetter is here to kill you? It don't matter why, Mr. Jones. Okay. I'm going to go in there and talk to him. I'd assume you didn't. I don't like people getting killed in Dodge, Chester. Even you. Now you wait here, huh? Hello? Say, you're the marshal. Your name Asa Ledbetter? How'd you know that? Chester told me. Chester? Yeah, Chester Proudfoot. <laughs> well, okay, marshal, he got my name right, but I don't recall his. What? I never heard no Chester Proudfoot. Glad to meet you, though. Buy a drink? Oh, thank you. Say, there was a fella in here a while ago, I remember, because he was staring at me so hard. He heard me say my name, too. I was talking to a cowboy about finding work around here. Where are you from, Ledbetter? Texas. What part? Amarillo. Ever been in South Texas? No, never have. Marshal, what's this all about? Now, Chester thinks that you came here to kill him. Now, just look here, Marshal. I don't know this Chester fella. Never even heard of him. I don't go around murdering people. I hope that's true, Lynn. Of course it is. And I don't like nobody dragging down my good name, Marshal. Nobody is. So long. You just asked anybody from Amarillo about me, Marshal. They can tell you. Chester? I feel like a darn fool standing out here. Are you sure you haven't got Asa Ledbetter mixed up with somebody else? Not hardly. He claims he never heard of you. Ah, he's been looking for me for years. Why, Chester? It don't matter why, Mr. Dillon. If I'm dead, all that matters is I'm dead. Why don't you take a few days off, huh? Go fishing or something. You don't believe me, do you? I didn't say that, Chester. Well, you'll be sorry, Mr. Dillon. You'll be real sorry. Kitty, that was a real good dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thank you. Thank me? Well, I, I thought you were paying for it. You're the one who needs a vacation. 
not Chester. Oh, but you're a rich woman, Kitty. <laughs> Let's talk about Chester. Does he really think Asa Ledbetter's after him? Well, that's what he says. It's not like Chester to make up a thing like that. No. Hey, you stay here. No, I'm going with you. It's a couple of drunken cowboys. Uh, you going after him? It's Chester, Matt, down there by the alley. Come on. Out with his arm. Looks like he's been hurt. Yeah. He shot me, Mr. Dillon. He shot me. One of those cowboys? No, Aza Ledbetter. What? I seen them cussed cowboys coming, so I ducked in the alley here. And Ledbetter was down at the end of it, just waiting for me. I think he just hired them fellas to set up a commotion so he could get a shot at Here, him. let me see that arm. The bullet went right in here, Mr. Dillon. It didn't break nothing, though. Ah, Chester, you've been hurt worse than us a dozen times. Now, look, if you ducked in the alley, you were probably facing the street, weren't you? Yes, I was. All right, then Ledbetter wouldn't have been behind you. The bullet entered from in front. It was him, I tell you. Or the wild bullet from those cowboys. You think I'm lying? Well, I think you're worrying yourself into seeing things. I'm going up to docks, if I can make Now, wait a minute, Chester. Where's Ledbetter staying? Well, he, he told me the Dodge house, Matt. All right, I'll go talk to him. Sure, you go talk to him. How many times do I have to be shot around here before anybody believes me? you been in your room here? Oh, I've been taking a nap, Marshal. Up until them drunks out there woke me up. Chester says you tried to shoot him a few minutes ago. He's... Now, Marshal, I'm getting sick and tired of this Chester. What's he trying to do anyway? He's pretty certain about it. Bound and determined to get me into trouble? I'd doggone if I know why. There must be some reason. Well, sure, and if there is, I don't know it. I'll be glad when I find me a job and get shut of this town. Never did hear nothing good about Dodge anyway. We try to keep it peaceful. Oh, sure, but it's like you say. Probably ain't enough good men left to act as jury to try the bad ones. Uh Uh-huh. Just where did I say that, Ledbetter? Oh. (laughs) I don't know. You heard it before, ain't you? Yeah, Yeah, I've heard it before. It's a saying down in South Texas in Live Oak County. Well, that may be, Marshal. And I heard it in Amarillo, and ain't that possible? Yeah, I guess it is. Marshal, listen here. If I come here to kill a man, what did I be waiting around for? A change of weather? It don't make sense, does it? No. No, it doesn't make sense. Any part of it.
does it look, Doc? Well, it's just a scratch, man. A scratch? I suppose if I come in here scalped, you'd say the barber just give me too tight a haircut. Now, Chester, be brave, boy. Yes, there we are. In a week, you'll never know you got hit. Well, it's a mercy it wasn't my gun arm. Chester, I told you Asa Ledbetter was in his room the whole time. You mean he told you? I asked the desk clerk on the way out. Then he was lying, too. Chester, how long since you've had a good night's sleep? Now, Doc, don't you start that. Well, you admit you didn't actually see Ledbetter in that alley. But next time you'll see him all right, won't you? Whether he's there or not. <laughs> Have you finished doctoring my wound? Oh, now, wait a minute. Getting mad won't help you. Well, maybe it will. Well, where are you going now? Who cares where out I'm going He'll get over it, Doc. Yeah, I hope so. The only thing I can figure is that he's got this lead butter mixed up with somebody else. Yeah. But it'd certainly help if he'd say why he thinks he's after him. Because... It... Matt? Yeah, what is it, Doc? Come over here at the window. Quick. What's going on? Look, down there in the street. Well, that says a lead butter. And Chester's standing there about to shoot him. Yeah, I'd better hurry, Doc. Getting plumb good and tired of you. And why don't you do something about it? Chester. You stay out of this, Mr. Dillon. I don't like gunfighting, no matter who starts it. I didn't start it. He come here to shoot me. Marshal, he is crazy. Ought to be locked up. Sure, I'm crazy. I should have called you out before. Now, you gonna fight or not? No, I ain't gonna fight. You scared? I got no quarrel with you. Are you scared? Leave him alone, Chester. No! Then tell me what this is all about. No. Not Chester. Why don't you just go off and, and get drunk or something? Hey, Chester. Now will you draw? Now will you? Oh, Marshal, I ain't going to take much more of him. I said, are you All right, Chester, draw? that's enough. Now you come with me. You're a dirty coward. You better. come with me, I said. You're with him, ain't you? You and Doc and everybody. Maybe you are crazy, Chester. Sure. Oh, sure. Well, where are you going? I'm going to get me a drink. Alone. Is that you, Doc? Oh, man. Why, it's three o'clock in the morning, man. Yeah. You been on a call? Well, I haven't been romancing the ladies. Yeah. Oh, uh, is Chester asleep? Yeah, he's asleep. But not in the office. Why not? Where is he? I locked him in a cell out back. You locked him in... What? He got drunk, Doc. About sundown, he was as drunk as I ever saw him. Well, maybe he needed it, Matt. Maybe it'll bring him out all this. Well, something's got to. Yes, it does. Well, I'm going to go to bed. You better go, too. Yeah, I am, Doc. I think I'll use Chester's bed in the office tonight. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, good night, Doc. Yeah. 
Don't move, Chester. This here's a shotgun. All right, now get off that bed and get over to the window. Go on. Better. I'm gonna sit down here and light the lamp now. But you just stand steady. The shotgun's right across my knees. Now, Chester, you and me, we're going. Marshal, what you doing here? Well, I was trying to get some sleep. Well, you don't sleep here. It's Chester's bed, all right. Where is he? Eyes around. Somewhere. Where are you going? Stand still, Marshal. Stand still. I mean it. Well, I was just going to close the back door here. You left it open. I want it open. All right. I'll open it wide. Here, Marshal, no call for this. All right, where's Chester at? I don't know where he is, Ledbetter. You're lying. Yeah, I'm lying. You got drunk this afternoon. You brought him over here. And I thought you put him to bed, but since you didn't think but one place he'd be, right out there in that cell behind you. You walk right past him on your way in, Ledbetter. Get out of that doorway, Marshal. No. I'll shoot you if you don't. You'll shoot Chester if I do. Now move, I, I say. I can't oblige you, Ledbetter. I'm I'll sorry. I'll kill you, Marshal. Don't shoot again, Chester. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, you hit him in the head with the first shot, Chester. Pure luck. I heard you kick that door. It woke me up. So I wonder anything could wake you up tonight. Well, I don't feel so good, but I ain't drunk no more. Say, you got me locked in here. Yeah, I thought of that, but I forgot to take your gun away from you. That was mighty careless of you, Mr. Dillon. Well, it doesn't matter now. You knew I had it. You was going to let him shoot at you so as he'd wake me up and I'd have a chance at him. I guess I was kindly wrong about you being again me. You know, it might have helped things if you'd have told me why Ledbetter was after you, Chester. I just couldn't, Mr. Dillon. Oh, why? It had to do with a lady. Oh. She's dead now, but I didn't want nobody talking about her, saying her name. Nobody. Can you understand that? It'll be daylight soon, Chester. Let's go brew up some coffee, huh? Thank you, Mr. Dillon. Thank you.
your star, William Conrad. You know, the early frontier years were lusty and brawling, and men happily fought each other as a matter of course. But next week, it's the man who refuses to fight that causes all the trouble. And that was the West. Good night. Gunsmoke. Produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast was Lawrence Dobkin as Asa Ledbetter, Harley Bear as Chester, Howard McNear as Doc, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke. dead now, and I didn't want nobody talking about it, nobody mentioning her name. Can you understand that? Ooh, that was good. That was good. That was Gunsmoke, a gun for Chester, as originally broadcast on July the 1st, 1956. What an outstanding episode in outstanding sound quality. Folks, that's it. We are all out of time. We'll see you next time. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.